3: Anyways, uh, tonight we have the pleasure of being joined by Jill Soloway, author of Tiny Ladies and Shiny Pants. She's also a director and community organizer Jill co-founded Eastside Jews, a network of Jewish artists, writers, and thinkers living on the east side of LA aiming to reinvent Jewish culture, community, and ritual. Um, sh- tonight she joins us to present a discussion with Eileen Levinson and Carlene um, Labresco on the New American Haggadah, a new translation by Nathan Englander of the story of Exodus with additional essays and commentaries by Jonathan Safran Foer. Um, to introduce our panel, I hand it over to Jill.
4: Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. Anybody who's sitting in the back, if you guys want to come a little closer so that we can uh, make this a real discussion, because I think as soon as we get started here, it would be really great to really talk about what everybody's done or doing at their seders. And Anyway, never really works when people ask people to come to the front, but thought I'd try. Um, yeah, <laughs> reserved bikes. So, um, I just want to talk a little bit about these awesome women who are here. Um, Carolyn Nebraska was a friend of mine and a... Um, I guess you got your degree in, in, in history or something, or Jew- religion and history, I had no idea. I know her as the face of Sundance. But I also know her as a person who is um, really personally committed and passionate uh, towards the idea of making amazing satyrs happen. And she's making one this year that I get to go to. So, uh, Carolyn's going to talk more about that. And Eileen Levinson, my other guest on Jews Tonight in Silver Lake, is, um, she created something called Haggadot.com, where it's all about making your own Haggadah and she creates art and all kinds of cool stuff about reinventing ritual. And just so you guys know what Eastside Jews is, it's a group of people sort of making up events one at a time, you know, twice a month, once a month, whenever. Sometimes it's ritual, sometimes it's something like this, sometimes it's uh, a singles party. We're working on that too. It could be anything. Just go to the website and throw your name on the mailing list, and if you have any ideas for events, let us know. So I just quickly want to talk about the book that we're supposedly here to talk about, The New American Haggadah, which I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on, because um, we really want to celebrate it. We A few of us come from an organization uh, called Reboot, that um, is one of the engines behind this kind of rethinking and reinventing of Jewish holidays, and a lot of people involved with Reboot were involved with The New American Haggadah. Um, I have a little bit of information from talking to Jonathan safran Foer about this particular book why it happened and um, I just wanted to share that before we move on to what these guys are doing um, his first intention he said was to actually gather up a bunch of people and do an anthology he was going to get a different cool author to do each chapter and make it into this kind of you know cool collection of cool people rewriting the Hagada and as he set set to doing that, he found that the Haggadah itself, the story that it was, really wanted to be told as it was, that it didn't need any reinventing, that he just very simply wanted it to be translated into the most sort of um, concrete, original version of itself. And so he went to Nathan Englander and had him do the um, the translation. Come up here, guys. Come on in. Ladies and gentlemen, Julie Harmelin and Joshua Wolfshank. I know every time. <laughs> <laughs> Julie comes in late, and I always announce her name. <laughs> um, and the more he went, the more he said about trying to reinvent it. The more he found that he wanted to l- just really allow it to be what it was. And we'll 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 talk about that. Um, because, you know, a lot of people's sort of first questions is, are, why do I have to say all this language about fathers and sons and things that don't resonate? Um, Jonathan Safran Foer felt that that discussion was something for the Seder table, but not for the Haggadah. He felt that the Haggadah should be translated as literally as possible, as beautifully as possible, as gracefully as possible, but that nothing should be changed. That's one of the things that he um, came across as he was trying to to update it. A few of the things that he mentioned is that to him, a successful uh, Seder is one that um, pushes your heart open and that opens your perspective. That a successful Seder um, inspires a desire to nudge yourself towards something better. And the ritual's function is to nudge us into becoming who we want to be. Um, what else did he say? I've got a few other things. He, he's, he, he grew up with the Maxwell House Seder. What do you want? Uh, the Maxwell House Haggadah. Do you want to hold it up? Does everybody knows the Maxwell House Haggadah? We had it here somewhere. Oh, there it is. You should prices right in. <laughs> <laughs> the one that you get in the grocery stores. And that's what his family grew up with. And then after that, they started to reinvent. And one of the jokes that he makes is, how is this night different from all other nights? it's the night when copyright does not apply. So, you know, as between the Maxwell House Seder of his childhood and him rewriting this Haggadah for his family and the world, um, for years his family, whoever was the Seder leader, would cut and paste from a bunch of different Haggadahs to, you know, make the evening what they wanted it to be. And I think that's one of of the things that was most inspiring to me. just a a quick story there's a guy named Amichai Lalavi who's studying to become a rabbi and one of the things that he taught me early on was you don't have to be hungry at a seder that actually the word carpus means appetizers and that you can start eating when you put the carpus on the table and that actually you can do whatever you want at a seder that seder just means order and Amichai really reinvented uh, his version of the Seder into something he calls S-A-Y-D-E-R and it's at theseder.com. It's a website where he has these sort of four questions and they're completely different. Quite, you know, they're, he, he sort of rewrote the four questions. You know, who am I, what has changed in the, in the past year? What would freedom mean to me personally? Um, how does our country and our world need to change? And how can I be a part of making that change? And how can I change myself? And to him, he just does the Seder with that. And they don't even use a book. And there's no Haggadah. So the point is that whoever is, if you are in charge of the Seder, if you're running the Seder, you can really make it whatever you need to be to make it an evening that is resonant and fun and uses pieces of this book or pieces of other books. Um, But really, it's an evening of theater, an evening of games, an evening of singing, an evening of discussion, whatever your audience can handle and whatever you want to lead. So,
5: do you want to start, Carolyn, talking about the Seder that you're working on? When, when you say Jonathan, or was it Nathan Englander or Jonathan For
4: Jonathan Ford it in Englander-
5: S- Whoever said, you know, he wanted to remain faithful to the translation, I ask what, what, which, which Haggadah? They're all different. I've been, you know, like, I don't understand what he means by that, because, um, I challenge him. Because, um- Where are you, Jonathan come Yes, come you forward! You know, I've been, I'm getting ready for this Seder on Friday night, um, and I decided this year, the last time I wrote a Seder was the Oberlin Feminist Haggadah, in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> um, which we, we, <laughs> we cut and pasted together, because we were young, budding feminists, and we were pissed off, and we changed all the God language, <laughs> and, um, and we pasted and cut it all together, and hand-wrote the headlines. It's really and it's so sweet I love looking at it now and we put a crust of bread at the Seder table and all of that and um, there's a lot of poetry in here and stuff and it was very important to us, it was very meaningful to us at the time but the la- then I led a bunch of Seders for, at my family because I'm the only one who really cares about scholarship in this way in my family, everybody else is an atheist, I kind of am too but um, and but I just used different, like I would Xerox different Haggadahs and like just lead a Seder um, but this time I just realized I've been very um, inspired by East Side Jews and re- my experience of Reboot and needing and wanting to just be more responsible about it all. So I decided to delve back in and I must say that I had been hoping I, w- I would be fully completed by the time this e- evening came around but I'm still in process which is actually quite appropriate as well because um, this is a it's a process and I went back so I... I decided to, this is sort of what I've got so far. And I've, I've basically been using all these Haggadahs and looking online mostly at feminist and radical anti-capitalist satyrs, because those are the ones that interest me, since capitalism is the root of all evil right now, as far as I'm concerned. and we one. All agree on that. I think we can all agree on that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and dug up all these old Haggadahs I have, and I'm noticing, and I quickly understood I needed reminding that I could put it things in any order I wanted and then actually um, that this is and, and I went back to this interesting scholarly book I had I love this this was written in 1959 it's it's Theodore Gaster who is a Near Eastern scholar and he basically writes um, The several features of the ritual and the several elements of the narrative in turn reinforce this sense of continuousness, for neither ritual nor narrative is the product of a single age or environment, a mere heirloom or museum piece passed down intact and piously conserved. On the contrary, some parts of each go back to the days of the Second Temple, while others are no earlier than the 15th century. Ritual and narrative alike are therefore dynamic, not static creations, virtual kaleidoscopes of Jewish history reflecting in their growth and development the various phases of Israel's career. I mean, it's it's a little stayed, but um, the point is that um, that this is a that the seder and the the Passover ritual is a um, a conflation of past, present, future. It's a conflation of texts across history. Um, the Jewish atti- he, I quote from Gaster again: the Jewish attitude towards this Haggadah, stems from the premise that events transcend the moments of their occurrence, that anything which happens in history happens not only at a particular moment, but also as part of a continuous process, and therefore involves as its its participants not only a single generation, but also, and more importantly, all who went before and all who follow after. Um, So, what I've included in in my, I realize what I needed in my Haggadah, besides all of the kind of those key elements like Karpas and Hallel and Urchatz and Ro- Rochsa and Ma- Matzah and all of those parts. Um, which will be in there. What I realized is that I needed a conversation at the very beginning about our relationship to history and and, and um, and then um, Paula sent me this really great reading, Paula pa- Mondonado, from a philosopher in Buenos Aires. She just wrote, hi Amy, she just wrote about how. Um, uh, uh, Just about the intimate connection that we have between time, memory, and justice, and that history—that that that history—that so I wrote this little thing. It just says on Passover, um, we're commanded to tell the story of Exodus as if we were actually there. Through the ritual structure, we enter into sacred time where ancient history miraculously erupts into our own present tense. Likewise, the food and drink we ingest become symbols, carriers of meaning, visceral catalysts of resonance. The idea is for every Jew to feel as if she or he had been freed from Egypt ourselves. So we're not just spectators of the past, but we're protagonists of history, which we write together on Passover and every day. So Passover shows us how redemption and liberation are ongoing projects. Injustice and oppression continue to hurt so many people but in Judaism the past summons us and our history and our storytelling provide us with tools in the struggle against injustice and that's the connection to each generation is responsible for liberating the oppressed from the past so for me there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting historiographic theorizing and philosophizing we can do around passover and gives us a, i think for me like a blueprint of being jewish which is a relationship a very interesting and kind of challenging relationship with history and with an ongoing liberation. So I think that that's, I, I just think it's at the root of of our Jewish practice in a way Um, and then I'll stop talking I'll say one more thing which is that then I realized that that as I was reading through and studying about Elijah and I was like why is Elijah at the end I don't understand and then I was thinking about redemption through this philosopher that I was reading from Buenos Aires her name by the way is Diana Sperling not doesn't sound like a very Argentine name but apparently she lives in Buenos Aires Um, and that Elijah, she points out that Elijah is the harbinger of redemption. So, this whole idea of historiography and theorizing around history and, and um, liberation and, and the past erupting into the present is what Elijah really is. Elijah is the past erupting into the present, right? I mean, he, so opening the door for this ancient figure who's going to come again when redemption happens. Um, Belongs right after a conversation, right right at the beginning of the fa- of the of the Passover. It belongs right after my conversation about the past erupting into the present, the idea of sacred time. Um, So I put him, I put Elijah as like the third thing that happens at our Seder. I also really like the idea of opening, opening the door at the beginning and keeping it open for the whole Seder. I don't understand why they open it at the end and then close it immediately. It makes absolutely no sense to me, which is basically my invitation to all of you to do whatever the hell you want.
4: I just just want to uh, quickly add By the way, that thing you wrote was beautiful. Um, I want to add that, um, yes, do whatever you want. And really, the, the Haggadah is sort of the starting place and the, the work of Passover really can begin now as you begin to think about, would I like to talk about with a table full of people on Friday night and maybe I haven't planned a Seder yet or maybe I know who's coming but I don't know what we're going to do and now is the time that you can begin to think about thematically what's actually interesting to you. Another thing that Amichai talks about is that he's not as interested in the story of the Jewish people and about being Jews but more interested in the in human responsibility and particularly he translates the narrow place, the idea of Mitzray as our own narrow places. Places that we're all trying to, you know, become free. uh, Places that we're trying to break the shackles of slavery, whether it's slavery to your iPhone, slavery to the idea of work, slavery to a shitty relationship or to a a past or an idea. Um, Depending on who's at your Seder table, you can very easily make the Haggadah a starting place for that and the work that you do over the days to get ready for it is as much as 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 a part of Passover as the Seder itself and then you know like I'm going to Carolyn's Seder and I'm going to be helping write a play for the children and getting together with Carolyn the day before or tomorrow you know as we start to talk about the play that's part of it as well so instead of thinking about it as oh God, how am I gonna do this? I don't have time, I don't wanna do this. Think of it as this sort of challenge to look at this material, whether it's the new American Agata or any other thing, or Hagadot.com, which Eileen's gonna talk about, see what you find interesting, completely turn the evening into a night of theater that you would wanna attend, and assign people who are coming parts of the evening um, steps that you wanna do, and they don't have to be all the steps. And Eileen's gonna talk about her website and more.
6: Thank you. Um, That's a lot to follow. That was really beautiful, everything that you said. Um, So, I'm Eileen. I'm an artist. I'm a graphic designer. And I came up with a site called Haggadot.com and it basically allows anybody to upload original writings or artwork for the Passover Haggadah, um, which many people have been doing for years on their own, literally cutting and pasting, photocopying, as Caroline showed us, um, but now being able to put it online um, and in a public way so that anybody else can read their work, um, mix and match content, and print out their new Haggadah. Um, and there was a lot of motivation for me making this. Um, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a reform home, and our Passover seder used uh, something very similar to these uh, Haggadot. Uh, a really, uh, a really kind of dry book. Uh, I think it was from like the '50s. These kind of quirky illustrations of these, like, I don't know, medieval men in like red uh, hats. And this is it that one? It might be. The inside looks similar. I think there was a different cover, but that's very similar. Um, so,
5: so, so we'll this hold is it. just from like 1957. It's just so great. It's like got these great woodcuts in red and bright blue.
6: Yeah, that one's actually more interesting than uh, mine. <laughs> but. Uh, That's similar. Um, So I had this kind of joint, this experience that I think a lot of us had growing up where I would be so bored with Passover, like I totally couldn't connect. I didn't know why it was all these dudes in there and I was like this young sort of budding budding feminist even at like eight years old. The youngest in my family always having to ask the four questions. Um, And yet on the other side of it I always knew that I really appreciated the ritual of it. It was like uh, my family decided to have a play all of a sudden that we were doing at dinner. And you know I had my part. My father played you know the wise older you know knowledgeable man with Jewish history um, so I really appreciated that um, and then I also had no idea of all the different ways that people were doing Passover and then going to college and being invited to friends seders and just seeing this totally new world open up um, it was really liberating too and, and for all the reasons that I couldn't connect growing up and I felt like it just you know in general, the Passover Seder maybe didn't have meaning to me, uh, the many ways that I was experiencing it did have meaning. And so I just became really fascinated. Um, and so when I was in grad school, um, I, I went to grad school for design, and we had the prompts to imagine the future of publication. And when I, I thought about a publication that would be collaborative, I immediately went to the Haggadah. Um, wh- what if we could actually, you know, around the world, instead of cutting and pasting in our own families, or um, with our college groups, as Karen did to actually um, be able to share all of our content online and what kind of connections happen when um, you know somebody in say Morocco or France or um, Nigeria is able to collaborate with uh, someone from America on a Haggadah or somebody who maybe isn't able to connect like me is able to come onto the site and find all the different perspectives. Um, So I mean so right now the site has about uh, 190 different contributors, Um, there's different writers, uh, you know, some rabbis, some just uh, creative writers, Jewish thinkers, journalists, Um, there are artists, Um, there's even now like uh, musicians that are posting uh, music videos, um, animation, uh, rap, so it's really across the board. And as I've created this, it's now, um, we did sort of smaller versions of the site the past couple years and then we were able to receive a large grant this past year to redo the site. Um, and so, you know, as I've had conversations the past couple years, as it's grown, it's been really interesting, um, because on one hand I do promote the whole do it your own way, uh, you know, mentality. Um, but I also get, uh, there's a lot of, um, sort of nervousness that I face where people are worried that I'm just, you know, my site is like throwing out tradition entirely, like we're all going to spiral out into our different fragmentation and I'm not necessarily worried about that, I don't know if any of us really are. Um, so on one hand I think it's great to find a way to make it your own, but I also think that, um, I think that it is important to connect with something in the tradition that maybe you're uncomfortable with. Um, And even if it's looking at the site and finding um, a reading that's not exactly from the perspective that you would come from, and maybe throwing that in the mix as well and just really trying to like, you know, digest that and understand, you know, why is this something that somebody else felt really compelled to say about the Haggadah or this is their expression that's not my own. And that's a way of also connecting with
5: a larger history as well um, so I mean I think we we teeter on this sort of this these sort of a his you know this sort of thing that we all kind of lean on in Judaism, which is like Midrash is at the center of our of our religion if you just keep interpreting you can interpret however you want and we can be a as ahistorical historical as we want in like reading biblical texts, which is frustrating and kind of. I think we throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a lot of there's a lot of value in looking at things in their own historical context. But the truth about the traditional Haggadah is that it represents a range of historical contexts. So while certain texts within it, I mean there the old, the the most ancient text in the Hebrew Bible is from the 15th century BC and it's part of the Exodus story. It's the it's it's the song of the sea's parting. It's the song of the of the horses running through the the water. It's Exodus 15 and so, and that's, we tell that within within the Haggadah, so that's, we have both an, the most ancient text in the story but we also sing Hadgad Ya, which is uh, probably from like the 1800s or something in Europe, you know and along the way we also, we use things like Afikomen from the Hellenistic period we use, you know, those the traditional Roman feast, you know from the Roman period, we use I'm sure that, it, you know, he, an- this guy analyzes each of the elements of the Seder and, and puts them in their historical context so I think at this so that's a great argument for why, let's just add, let's add some things. Let's add the orange at the Seder plate, which is Susanna Heschel's idea of, for those who we normally wouldn't, if for those of you who don't, you probably all know what it is, but you do. Okay, but anyway, for those we would not normally um, include in, in Judaism or in Jewish practice, this, the orange is, there, is us acknowledging, right, and affirming that they should be part, that, that we accept them and we welcome them. But that's a that's a 1980s idea. So, you have a 1500s idea, B.C. idea, and a 1980s idea. Um, that does seem like fair, fair practice. At the same time, I think it's really, one of the things that's missing for me in so many Haggadah, which I really want to insert, is a kind of, and I really appreciate about this new American Haggadah, which is that there's a historical timeline that places, doesn't do it exactly the way I want it done which is that I want the elements of the Seder to be dated and historicized. Because I think we need, we need that kind of consciousness. That's what we're all talking about here. What does it mean to interpret your tradition? At the same time, what does it mean to respect the historicity of that tradition? We're a historical people. I think that's, that's, our, hist- uh, that's our central conversation and the Haggadah raises it.
4: I just want to add one more thing and then I want to open it up to questions and have you guys, uh, if you have questions or if anybody wants to tell any stories of what you guys do at Passover because uh, I want to sort of add that I've been working on reinventing seders in my own home for many years now and I definitely still have not gotten it right. Like, it goes wrong every time. Like, I have not figured out how to make kids happy and adults happy at the same time. If you want to make it interesting to adults, then they're going to talk about things that you really wouldn't want to talk about in front of kids. And if you want to make it compelling for the children, the adults are going to be bored. And the the thing I would urge everybody to do is to try it on multiple nights. You know, I go to my mother-in-law's... Uh, I'm going to my mother-in-law's Seder on Saturday night, and hopefully nobody will tweet this or Facebook it, but she leads the most boring, clean Seder. She, like, laminates these books. She wrote her own poems, and they were... or, or they're, like, cribbed from Susan Polis' Schwartz cards, and it's the most horrendous thing. And there's no dipping, there's no arguing, there's no matzah. We just have to go around and read it. And then we eat dinner. And when I first went to that with my husband, Bruce, I was like, we gotta fix this shit. And we, me and my sister-in-law, we wrote a play, we, we, we brought in new Haggadahs, we, we wrote shit in the Haggadahs, We did. She was mortified. She was very polite. But she didn't want anyone messing with her Seder. And so we just let her do her Seder going to go to Carolyn's on Friday night where I'm going to do my play and I know people like Harris told me that they're going to do a friend's seder when they get back. If you have to do multiple seders because what you want to do to make it work for you isn't going to work with your family, do another one the next night with a few friends and have fun trying to make it resonant. And each year you may get closer to making it something that feels right but the cool thing will be that you do it every year. The cool thing will be that what you just said which is wow we're doing a play in our house. This is strange, but cool, and we do it every year.
5: That's almost all, that's almost all you need. I have an important question to ask anybody here who's an expert. I want to put dancing at the end of my Seder. Is that okay? I would say yes. Okay. <laughs> Great, because I want dancing, a lot of it, and yeah.
4: Well, so we have another microphone up here. I was going to pass this. Microphone. Oh, sorry. If you yeah. want to share, what, sh- share your own fun. Yeah. Stand up and share like what happens. This is your sister's. That's your sister's thing. I'm I'm chilling.
7: I'm chilling. My sister, uh, for a number of years, uh, has been working on a Haggadah for kids, and it really is uh, fantastic. Aside from the fact that she's my sister, it's fantastic. Um, And this for the this year for the first time it's available on Amazon. But this stemmed from. Her desire to figure out a way to really engage her kids in an open-ended conversation about what is the meaning of the seder in so many different in in, in all of its variety of contexts, and so she made this book, um, which really allows kids to you know draw their cup of wine, and it's incredibly interactive, or find something to light up a dark sky, and I mean, in general, this is. You know, she and I have both been on a journey, as most parents are when they have children, of how are, you not, how are you not just telling the kids, you know, this is what you need to know about Passover. How can you engage them in the same journey that we're all going on, as we discover our own seders, in a way that, is, that makes sense to them. And so this is what she ends up doing. And I'm very proud of her, and you guys should check it out.
8: Hey um I led my first uh saying, I'm
4: David, I'm
8: hi, I'm David and I'm Jewish hi. <laughs> I led my first Seder a few years ago and uh, I I also cobbled together my own uh, Haggadah. And when I was doing that, um, one thing I realized was it got really, really long and I didn't want to make copies for everyone. And then I actually started thinking about the sort of performative nature of Seders. And I I used to lead a lot of workshops where there are dozens of people in a room and I had to like give them tons of information and schedules and everything. And I learned very early on doing that work that as soon as I handed out paper, people were reading instead of paying attention to what was going on and I finally decided when I led my own seder that I would just have two copies of the Haggadah, one that I was holding and one that would get passed around to whoever was doing the reading. And I, I think and I hope that actually changed the experience for people so that instead of like reading all the time, which like uses a completely different part of the brain and I know when I have a Haggadah I'm always like I'm stuck on something that two is two pages ago or I'm reading ahead, so we're literally not on the same page most of the time, that when you take away the reading material from people they actually have to listen Um, and I found there was a very different kind of engagement Um, and I was just thinking like before Maxwell House when people you know maybe only had one or two Haggadahs they might have probably done that before as well and since Haggadahs have become so you know common and easy and free with the Maxwell House suddenly it changed our I think uh, that it probably changed how we like interact um, at the the at the table. So, I don't know. It was an interesting experiment that I'm, I'm hoping to do again.
4: Can we pass this back?
9: When I was a kid, my father would stand up with the one Haggadah and read the entire thing in Hebrew. <laughs> and we were just captive of that. But uh, my best Seder was uh, four women friends who lay down on the floor and asked their deep questions. And that was the absolute best Seder. And my challenge always is dealing with disparate crowds. Like, how do I deal with the fact that at my Seder it's going to be more than half not Jewish? who are there because of their, you know, relations, and are there happily, but have a whole different investment in history with it. And me, who has my father, you know, in my mind, and um, the four women on the floor in my mind, and it's a hard one, and every year, every year it's a struggle.
10: Yeah, I have a similar, I have a similar thing. I, I, I led a Seder a few years ago and tried to do, a lot of new stuff, and also a lot of the traditional things with traditional foods, and I, it felt like the 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 traditional stuff just immediately threw everyone into the frame of doing it the way it's been done every year. And I, I almost think that you would need to go totally radical in order to create something fresh. That you have to go to one of the two extremes. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to be totally radical because there's something beautiful in a lot of these traditions. A lot of what a ritual is is reminding you I did this when I was eight years old and my, you know, there was my grandpa and he went up and he washed his hands and said I'm gonna wash my hands. <laughs> N- no one touched the Afik Homan, You know? And that, that's a big part of, you know, that's very meaningful to me but I feel like if you, it's like a magnetic field if you sort of If you like inch towards that, it'll like you know, suck you into something that is really not, doesn't have much spiritual content. It's just, um, it's just like, um, you know, yeah,
4: yeah, is that working?
5: I don't think I need it. Oh, yeah, you do, because they're podcasts. Okay. I mean, I what I am going to do this year, I decided that I was going to really um, pare it down, like reduce it into just the base. So it's going to be writing with no illustrations. Um, and I'm, right now it's at 12 pages, and I want to get it down to like eight Um, So that we can, and and a big part of it, the whole Magid is going to be the kids performing, hopefully whipping each other with palm fronds, or eucalyptus leaves, that was one idea I had, we could add to that. Um, (laughs) Slaves, slaves, scallions. Um, But I, I think... I'm hoping that this will both will accomplish both of what what you both are bringing up which is to sort of this is not going to be an interesting document to look at hopefully it's rather something that is perfunctory that is that is ser- performative perfunctory in um, just serving a purpose and not much more like that it's not a, it's not an object unto itself it's just a pathway so that's one idea not very helpful I want to hear, I
4: want to hear, does anybody else have stories of trying to reinvent their families satyrs and just ruining things? <laughs> <We're not ruined.
9: laughs> uh, I'm Howard and I'm also Jewish um, Hi Howard. <laughs> um, Last year, I um, I invited 11 non-jewish friends over to my house and I actually also put them in charge of helping cook a lot of the traditional dishes um, and since I was the only one that really knew what was going on at the seder I got to choose all of my favorite pieces from I, I also took a couple of Haggadahs that I had from growing up and I took my favorite parts of the seder that were most meaningful to me and I, I didn't really try to make it a uh, traditional you know I went through all of the the, the um, Pass over the symbols, the meaning of the uh, various pieces of the the Hagada, but uh, it was it was fun. It was a, and everyone had a great time, and I hope learned a lot. And it was, I find it was it was, came off really well. Not doing it again this year. I'm going to someone else's yeah. house, but I, I may do it again in the future. And it was a lot of fun. Well,
4: so you don't need Jews to have a
9: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Anybody else have any comments
5: or thoughts back there?
11: <clears throat> Hi, I'm David, and I'm Jewish, too. Um,
5: Hi, David. Hi, Julie.
11: <laughs> I went to Reboot a few years ago, um, but I don't think that we met. Um, uh, anyway, I um, grew up in Austin, Texas, and my dad was a rabbi, and um, he's not alive anymore, but I've been leading a number of satyrs at my family's house in Austin, and um, one year, maybe four or five years ago, I went to a First Seder here in LA at a friend's house and and my friend Andrea had a rabbi, I can't remember her name now, Um, it's not Sharon but it's somebody else who teaches at one of the um, conservative synagogues here and she had taught us how to make an interactive Seder and it was things like why is this what does this night mean to me in terms of freedom or what does this night mean to me in terms of oppression. It was this fantastic West LA kind of night with everybody participating and being super interactive and it was it was cool I'd never seen anything like it. The next night I flew to Austin to my mom's Seder, and it was in Austin, Texas again, so context is important. And I gave out these little pieces of paper that said, this is what you had to say. Like, this is what it means to me for oppression or for freedom or salvation, and and, and it wasn't really working, right? Somebody said something about California. It wasn't really working, even in Austin, Texas, the height of coolness. And at one point, one of my mom's friends looked and looked up and said, we just don't do things like that here. <laughs> <laughs> and we literally picked up the, um, the, uh, uh, the, um, the Maxwell House Seder, and we went back to it, and everybody was so much more comfortable <laughs> and read, and it went off without a hitch. But it was a really funny moment, so it's all about context yeah. and, and, and all and that audience. stuff. Anyway, yeah.
4: Cool. I'll pass it back that way, see if anybody's any. Tell us your childhood Seder story What you're trying
12: to say. Um, hello Um, my name's Renee I am Jewish too like everyone else Um, I grew up and I just always have not liked Passover it's like my least favorite Jewish holiday no offense like and it's kind of like the story you have like my mom like does a book and then she sticks exactly to it and she doesn't let anyone eat food and if you like reach for it she knocks your hand away and says no and then even when you do finally get to eat like the um, carosid and stuff it's like a tiny tiny little sliver and she's you know they're all waiting till the brisket which I don't even like that much and I'm just like okay whatever Um, so I just never like Passover and then one year it just got even like my my grandfather passed away on the night of the Seder and my grandma was trying to keep it a secret from everyone because it's like (laughs) well it's like my mom we my mom hosts a Seder every year she's like I like to describe her as someone with like the religious fever of an evangelical Christian, but she's Jewish and not in reformed. But she's like really, really Jewish at the same time. So it, she—it's like her <laughs> favorite holiday ever, and she always does Seder. My grandma's trying to keep this a secret. Like, oh yeah, Grandpa's still in the hospital, but like not <laughs> telling us anything. And then finally, but my grandma, obviously, because she's upset, she's acting like really weird and then like Like right before dinner my mom like snaps and because she yells a lot anyways But she like really yells and then my grandma's yelling and then she's crying and Like literally right before we sit down we find out that my grandfather's just passed away And, And now and it made Passover even worse because <laughs> now every year it's like this real dark heavy cloud She's like remember that on this day So many years ago like this was the day your grandfather died and um, Luckily I left for college and didn't have to do a lot of family saders since then but um, Yeah, it's just I don't know. I, I think Passover always gonna have this like dark mark on me for now, and I had a few satyrs in college and tried to make them more fun But then my mom would just still call me and remind me of all the horrible things <laughs> so I, I Came here tonight to see why people love Passover so
5: much. <laughs> I, guess. What I recommend yeah. for you is this the Claymation Haggadah. Oh yeah, that It's would be really great. really short and it has only Claymation pictures mm. of weird Jews in ancient times. We used to have that times.
12: movie that was like Claymation <laughs> Passover movie, I think. If so saw I
5: really that. recommend this for you.
12: Okay, <laughs> so that's my Passover story.
4: Pass the mic back that way and see if can get Can anybody pop that strong?
12: No. Um, I don't know how far this You can, like, pass this. You don't have to speak. Like, I just want to give it to someone. Oh, thanks.
1: Okay, my name is Lori, and I'm Jewish.
12: Hi, Lori. <laughs> um,
1: I, had, I have an adult child, a, that adult daughter, and when she was a teenager, we decided to do an adult Seder. And um, half the people there were Jewish, half were not, and her boyfriend was there. And I found this really awesome Hagada online called in a Gada Haggadah. And it was, yes, it was a play in In Gada De Vida. And we got, you know, to the part where it said, you're free of bondage unless you're into that. <laughs> um, the kids really got it, thought it was awesome until we got to the end and I should have proofread it because I made copies for everybody. And it's actually a messianic Jewish um, Hagada, and my mother freaked out.
4: <laughs> I think we have to have this...
13: I think it just prepares us for the, it just is a, a metaphor for the time that we were in slavery. So we have to recreate that slavery kind of feeling. And I'm Deborah, and I'm single and I'm a lesbian and I'm Jewish. <laughs>
4: Hi Deborah. I'm going to pass it around this way, cut to the other side. Hopefully Deborah's gonna have a good lesbian Jewish Seder. Anybody over here? Ilana, why don't you talk about what you're gonna do? You said you are gonna make your first Seder. What have, what's been going on with your Seder prep?
0: Okay, so my name is Ilana and I'm Jewish. Um, well I guess I have two stories and then sort of a quandary of what's happening now. Um, so one of my stories is that, um, one year we went to, uh, a Seder of this family friend that we go to every year and um, one of the sons of the family decided to dress up as Elijah (laughs) except that he dressed up with a giant sombrero and a poncho and pretended like he was drunk (laughs) so when they opened the door there he was and it never got repeated which was kind of a shame because that was really fun Um, and the other story was that um one one year my family decided to go for a walk after, after the meal which was really just like a nice break I guess because you're just full of food and feeling really groggy at that point. Um, so that was really nice. But this year is my first time making my own Seder and I've pretty much sought out Jewish friends. But I don't know if this has happened to all of you but a lot of my friends are being really wishy-washy about whether they're coming or not and then what they are if they're going to participate or not or what they're going to bring or not and I'm not sure whether it's like this sort of trepidation that I hear from some of you of like well I don't even know if I like a Seder or, um, or what that I don't really yeah I just don't know what, what that's about I guess maybe if I had played it up and made it sound more cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's a marketing problem. (laughs) Um, But I guess, yeah, I guess what's really interesting is that I sort of take it very seriously, and it's kind of weird that some people haven't even let me know whether they're coming or not. So I don't know. What do you guys do about that?
8: I actually accepted an invitation to a first night Passover this year and uh, they were just checking like a few days ago as to like who was going to bring what and they asked me to make a matzo ball soup which I love to make (laughs) and uh, then I asked hey I'm going to be picking up one of the new American Haggadahs do you want me to bring it what are you guys going to be using for the Seder and they're like oh no we're just eating and drinking (laughs) and I was like no no but um... <laughs> like I, I actually, Passover is my favorite holiday. I'm like I, 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 I want to do something. Uh, and then I actually, I, I went to temple last weekend, and the, they went through the list of the things that you must do in order to say that you have celebrated Passover. And I'm like, well, if I just go and eat and drink, that doesn't. And I've actually, uh, I, I'm now looking for a new seder for the first night. And I had to tell her, I'm really sorry. I'd Like, I so want to come and eat and drink with you, but I, I need to have some kind of ceremony, some kind of seder. Um, so now they're getting someone else to make their matzo ball soup. And uh, I'm, if anyone has a seder, I'm looking. <laughs>
4: That's, that's. <laughs> By the way, before I'm going to pass the microphone over to Gina, but just a quick reminder that um, after we're done here, you can purchase New American Hagatas. also Tiny Ladies in Shiny Pants, my memoir, which happens to be on sale. I'm very happy about that. How convenient. I didn't realize that um, they were going to be on sale together as twin documents, but, <laughs> 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 and then uh, the, there's a little bar next to Bar Covell called the Side Bar, and they are expecting all of us, and drinks and food over there for socializing and I think se- Seder trolling, I think a lot of Seder trolling is going to go on yeah. you can go up to people and ask them if the, if if uh, you can go to theirs, you can invite people Hi, Gina. Hi Jill,
1: um, so I like didn't realize it was Passover this week till like yesterday <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh my god, it's Passover, and I have a lot of family here, and then it turns out that all the family are, are, like, going away, and that there is no Seder. So I'm like, oh, there's no Seder. Like, they just basically found out today that there was no Seder. So I was like, okay, I'll have a Seder. So I have a Seder, but nobody, so David. <laughs> Although I think I might have it Saturday for the second night but but I have had I've had lots of seders in my life I really enjoy throwing them I lived in Hong Kong for a long time and I would like throw seders with like the expat community and I lived in Japan and I would throw satyrs there and I've had satyrs in LA and I just really enjoy sort of bringing people together and sharing Judaism with people who aren't Jewish and it's one of my favorite holidays because I feel like you know there's two kinds of Jewish holidays. They were mean to us, and God is great. <laughs> and I think this is my favorite. They were mean to us. Holiday. So, <laughs> oh, let's eat. Oh, okay. and let's eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
13: Yeah, I was going we'll to Okay, you. okay. So um, I'm Kathy, and uh, and uh, I'm Jewish too, and recovering conservative. But I I gotta say that for most of my life I had horrific seder's. I remember being trapped and wanting to get out more than anything else, and compulsively, you know, going for the matzah. Uh, sometimes under the table, I would hide the matzah, and I'd be putting my finger in the horseradish, and it was just—it was always—it was always a nightmare. And when I came to L.A., my first, maybe about 20 years ago, I went to a seder where a rabbi, where Denise Sager was running the seder, and I um, felt like I was delivered to the promised land. I had no idea that Judaism could be like that, and that's how I got involved in in a synagogue. and and sort of became really Jewish Um, and but since I've been married and I have kids I've been going to this horrific Seder where people are very very ill there's a lot of very very old people you know it doesn't smell good you get the whole drift you know Maxwell House the or Ralphs. That's what they are. Ralphs. They're Ralphs, I got us. <laughs> yeah, they get that's what they are. They come from Ralph's. And it's just it's and finally I have these I have two children, one that's thirteen and one that's sixteen, and they're both autistic. And um, And I'm just determined this year that it's not going to be like that so I put my foot down I said we're not going and we're going to a girlfriend's home and it's just my family and and this girlfriend and we really we have nothing planned. I work at at Hebrew Union College now and um, so I was scouring all the papers there and there's a printout from Slate about you know we were enslaved now we're free let's eat that kind of thing and uh, it's a little bit bigger than that and i'm i bought the book uh, a couple of weeks ago and i'm i'm just sort of open to whatever happens happens but i'm ready to start anew but so
5: you um you're, you have that the template is yes. really template. Talk, about, talk about your template okay, for a second, because she hasn't she didn't talk oh, about the template Go ahead, that
4: microphone
6: oh. works. I oh, work does to okay. Hello. Okay, so um, on the website there's actually a template. Um, because even though there's so many different options, I think that you know, what I'm still hearing is that there's a lot of unfamiliarity with the actual Haggadah itself. Um, And so on our website when you start a Haggadah you can actually um, choose a liberal or traditional template. Um, I'm assuming most people here will want the liberal template. Um, It's a very short, um, easy-to-follow Seder. Um, It was made by Jewish Boston Um, and that is a place where you can start to add your own content to it or, you know, cut out content that you don't want. Um, and I think that's also a place where you can really pass it around to everybody at your table to like maybe they could each have their own uh, version of it. Um, also circling back to something that we... the site. site is called haggadot.com um, I think circling back to something we, uh, I was hearing before um, about how uh, once we get back into tra- tradition people's eyes kind of glaze over. Um, and for me one of the things that One of the things that I actually find really meaningful, like I I love the idea of the structure of that original script um, that, you know, you can do it over and over again in a really boring way, or you can find that way to make it really interesting and meaningful. And and maybe, you know, it's, it's a lot like repetition of yoga or other rituals. Maybe there's a time where you just don't feel like doing it again, but in that, by putting those actions upon yourself, or by saying those words, you actually start to think through it a little bit differently. Um, so, I really do encourage you to throw something in there that just seems like, okay, this is going to be the boring part of the evening, but how do we really digest it? How do we find something new in this thing that feels so old? Um, or, Or just think about the thing that, like, you know if there is uh, a ritual or a part of the Seder that just does still feel really meaningful to you. Um, I for some, I always really love Dayenu. Like I think that there's, you know, it's really important to uh, to like respond to all the blessings that you do get. Like we talk of the whole Seder is spent talking about, you know, our history of oppression as Jews and then all the oppression that's happening in the world right now and all the things that you could say that are wrong with the world but still there are, there is a sense of blessing and renewal and um, uh, and when you can think about your blessings and, and the song Dayenu is really about building upon your blessings. Had we just received this, that would have been enough, but we got this as well. And then we got this too. So I think there's a way with everything that is in the tradition to really think about how do, how do I take the ancient uh, story and really make it cont- uh, meaningful in a contemporary way.
9: It was one of the favorite parts of uh, my service last year. It's, I got everybody singing the chorus of Diana. We You know, read through diagonal and, and everybody got into it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah.
4: All right, Ava's going to say something.
3: I just had a question for everybody. My name is Ava. I am also Jewish. Um, <laughs> Um, Though I was reminiscing about the my my grandfather when he leads the Seder I I don't know what point I realized he's getting the same speech every year during this We have a speech portion in our Seder where like my my grandfather can like make a speech It's it's been the same speech for a long time But my question is um, how many if somebody invites you to a Seder how many people are you allowed to bring with you? (laughs) None? One? Three, as many as you want.
13: <laughs> so you
3: ask, just ask the host. i <laughs> Okay.
4: So I think that's it. Any last remarks from you guys? Anything else you want to add? Thank you guys so much for your ideas and your brilliance. And thank you, Skyla, you wanna say anything else?
3: No, just thank you, and thank you everybody for coming um, and joining us tonight, and thank you to Jill and to our panel for being here. Thank you for
5: giving us a place for our 12-step Jewish meeting.